The Longbox Crusade presents Fan Bill Fridays. Welcome to another episode of Fan Film Fridays. I am your host, Clinton Robison, down here in the basement, or should I say, basement log, stardate, 11111111. I don't know how these dates work. Point one. Ah, so I'm just chilling down here, dreaming of the stars. You know, those things that you really can't see in a basement. But thankfully, thankfully, folks, somebody who is a star in his own mind... Managed to make that little (laughs) trek over to LBC HQ, and quite frankly, the uh, LBC crew kind of shoved him down here with me because they don't want him up there either. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and aliens out there in the universe, welcome the one, the only, the incredibly irredeemable Shag. Yay! Thanks for having me. I I brought my own captain's chair, by the way. I hope you don't mind it. Just... Scoot over a little bit. There we go. There it is. Ah, it's comfy. Uh, you, you realize that's the next generation captain's chair, right? No, it's not. Don't even pull the... Wait. <laughs> Why is the headrest like... Son of a bit. Don't worry. I'm sure there's a next generation footstool around here. You can just kind of lean back, kick your feet up. <laughs> it's amazing what Jared finds at the yard sales these days. It's the plush carpet that really makes it work. Pulls it all together. Ah, yes. Wouldn't you have loved to have been the guy whose entire job was to vacuum the carpet on the... Anyway, mm-hmm. Shag, wonderful to have you here. Since, you know, you're down here chilling with me instead of up there hanging with the quote-unquote cool kids. Oh, I've met them. Uh, I don't know that that qualifier is uh, would qualify. Since you're down here, would you like to, you know, watch a fan film by any chance? Sure. This sounds like a great idea. You you do know what fan films are, right? Right. They're movies that are made by my fans, right? Like yeah. The the electric one, me. the battery powered one, the the little pocket <laughs> one that folds up. Yeah, your fans. Of course, I know what fan films are. So, what is your history with fan films? Since you know you happen to be a first timer down here. So no, that's fair. So oh gosh, you know I don't know when uh, I would start being aware of fan films, right? Because, I mean, like, they, they go back a long time. I mean, as a kid, I, I filmed my Punisher action figure in stop-motion animation moving across a table. You know, is that a fan film? I don't know. It depends on your definitions. But I remember, you know, pretty much with the advent of the Internet, watching all kinds of fan films, I have very vivid memories of Troops, 
which is oh, it's so much fun, right? You know, Troops is great with the Bad Boys theme. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the, the first superhero one that really stuck out in my head as being good. I, I think it was called Grayson. And just so you guys know, before we start recording, I absolutely was convinced Clinton had already covered it here on the show. Uh, but it was a, a fan film basically uh, all about Dick Grayson in the Nightwing role. And uh, I had a Joker. It had a, you know, I had the whole thing. Anyway, I watched the trailer for that over and over and over. And I don't know if there actually was a film or it was just a trailer. But either way, uh, going back pretty much the advent of the Internet is, is my my experience with fan films. OK. And I assume since you brought your own captain's chair that you are a fan of Star Trek. I am. I absolutely am. That goes all the way back to whoo, probably 82, 81, somewhere in there. OK, so who's your favorite captain? OK, now this gets into all kinds of arguments of who's the best, or whatever you asked favorite. So let's be very specific. about. Yeah, that. I'm not, I'm not going to delve into that, you know, that that murky realm of fan fights. I just yes. want to know, you know, who's your favorite? My favorite is James T. Kirk, specifically the movie era. We're talking like Star Trek, you know, motion picture through Star Trek 60 on Discovered Country. That is my favorite captain for Star Trek. I just I love that era of Kirk. It just it, it probably because that's what was new when I started getting involved with Star Trek, but that is my absolute favorite. But I, I gotta tell you, Pike from Stranger Worlds is really chasing him. Like I didn't think that was possible. Uh, but like more so even than Picard was, I'm, I'm really digging Anson Mount in Strange New Worlds. Now it's only what, uh, not even halfway into the second season. So by the time we get, I don't know, let's just assume seven seasons, this could completely change. But as of right now, I am just crazed for Pike. Okay. So, what are your opinions on a certain Captain Robert April? <laughs> so am I uh, giving my opinions or the history? What am I doing here on this? You tell me, buddy. <laughs> well, you know, enlighten people that you know, might just be sitting there raising their eyebrows all Spock style. That Like, who is Captain Robert April? Fair enough. So Captain Robert April, who, by the way, does have a reoccurring role in Strange New Worlds. Uh, he is Pike's supervisor. The I think he's an admiral now or maybe commoner or something like that. Uh, he calls him Bob. He calls him Bob April. Anyway, uh, Robert April was the captain of the Enterprise before Christopher Pike. And this was established all the way back in the animated series. So they did an animated series episode that featured Robert April and his wife. And they were old, old, old people. And the whole episode was about them getting younger and stuff like that. And that was really the only quote unquote canon appearance of Robert April for a long time. And that, that is also assuming that you accept the, uh, the cartoon, the animated series as canon, which most people do, but you never know. So that was ro- the only place there. And then Robert April kind of went into legend. Like the, someone somewhere decided eventually that Robert April, if it had been live action, would have been portrayed by a young Gene Roddenberry. So, like, there was a Star Trek – I want to say it was, like, a Star Trek encyclopedia or something. Someone's probably already writing in going, no, with a a special Star Trek, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get you. I got you. Anyway, um, they they decided that Robert April would be represented by a young photo of Gene Roddenberry, you know, being kind of the first captain, which is kind of a clever thing. And so a lot of people think of Robert April as looking like a young Gene Roddenberry. For me, personally, my Robert April came from the books. Diane Carey wrote two of my favorite Star Trek books. And I'm a big Star Trek novel reader. I love me Star Trek books. And she wrote uh, Final Frontier, which was this big, thick, 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 thick Star Trek book. It was one of the, I think it was the third, what they call giant 
pocket Star Trek books. And this would be probably, I don't know, 86. I'm just shooting that off the top of my head. And then she did a sequel called Best Destiny. And in both of those cases, it told this story of a young James T. Kirk and his father, uh, George Kirk. George, uh, in the in this version of Star Trek history, George was a security officer and became the first officer on the Enterprise uh, when Robert April was in charge. So it was Robert April was captain. His first officer was George Kirk, and he was the head of security and first officer. And they had these two books together. And, uh, and, and I really, really enjoyed them. And I read them when I was much younger, and I reread them just a couple years ago. All right. So, listeners. <laughs> Thanks for all the commentary on that. Do you have any history with Robert April? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just the cartoon. Okay. All right. So you've seen that. Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't have a giant 11-foot replica of the Enterprise in my garage shag. I don't know whether you're just making that up as a riff or you know that they made one for this fan film. Because <laughs> they apparently – <laughs> I know that they made one for the fan film, and I'm hoping that you know your wife is telling you you have to sell it next week. <laughs> well, let's not discuss that. <laughs> they had to pay for this fan film somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that too. Uh huh. All right, folks. So, uh, as you may have noticed, we haven't actually said what our fan film is, and mostly that's because I'm just assuming you read the show notes because why wouldn't you? But for those of you who didn't. This is a a fan film called Star Trek First Frontier, and it's all about our lovely hero, Captain Robert April. Star Trek First Frontier was uploaded to YouTube back in September of 2020 by Kenny Smith. The director was Kenneth or Kenny Smith. Writers, Keith Brooks, Chad Dowdy, and Kenneth Smith. And I've got a long cast list here, folks. Not as long as on the uh, on the Street Fighter High uh, fan films, thank goodness, but close enough. Cast is Robert Pralgo as Captain Robert April, Tara Ox as Dr. Sarah April, Barry Corbin as John April, Nichelle Nichols, a name you might be familiar with, as our narrator slash Nyota Uhura. Yes, she is credited as Uhura, folks, but she just has no opening narration. Uh, Mark Ashworth as Commander Young. Paul Telfer as Commander McCain. Vince Canlis as Lieutenant Commander Corbin. Brianna Ferris as Lieutenant Lyra. Brandon Thane Wilson as Ensign Brooks. Autumn Dawn Nyrode as Yeoman Nichols. Diane Rodriguez as Lieutenant Ty. James Smith as Lieutenant DePriest. Christine Chaffee as Computer Vocals. Joshua Reed Davis as Nurse Jacobs. Reese Smith, Background Vocals. Stan Harrington as Captain Collins. Robert Brian Davis as Admiral Taylor. Natalie Perro as Grace April. April Billingsley as Counselor Lynch. And Deborah Childs as Empress Lissix. And that is a lot of Aprils in that cast and crew of characters. Our fan film right now at time of recording shows a whopping 4.3 million views, folks. So suffice it to say, this thing is kind of popular. I feel like there was other places you could watch it beyond even YouTube as well. So that, you know, the number would probably be a lot higher, I would think. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely uh, other places that you could watch it. And 
in a stunning turn of, uh, well, I won't say events, but, you know, uh, kind of bucking the trend of fan films on here. Uh, Mr. Smith himself has said, do please download this because he, he's not sure how long Paramount will actually still let them keep it up. So the, the reason behind that is Paramount, and I don't remember when, but sometime before the pandemic, cracked down on fan films because there were some really, really high quality Star Trek fan films out there that, quite frankly, were better than what Paramount was putting out at the time. And so Paramount freaked and they made all kinds of rules about you couldn't do Star Trek fan films longer than a certain length. You couldn't use actual Star Trek actors, all kinds of stuff. Um, Really, really strict, strict rules. And it was really, again, to crack down on fans creating, you know, intellectual property using their intellectual property. And, you know, legally, they absolutely had that right. From a crushing the fans spirit perspective, really a dick move. And like this fan film. I, I was able to find a little bit of information on it. They started working on it in 2015, long before those new regulations cracked down. Mm-hmm. So they started working on 2015. They didn't release it till 2020, though. So they were in the midst of producing it when Paramount cracks down on it. So that's what he means when he says, go ahead and please download it because I don't know how long it'll be up there. Well, here we sit. Three years later, it's still out there. So that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a positive thing. Uh, but unfortunately, we, we know how... how um, you know, megacorps are in these days. So, you know, it could be one of those things that could be up for the next forever because, you know, the Internet itself is forever. Or it could be one of those things that they send out a cease and desist and it gets pulled next week. Mm-hmm. Definitely get out there and watch it. Download it if you are a huge fan and you want it to stay with you forever. And, uh, of course, folks, this is the part where I tell you that you definitely, definitely, definitely want to go check the show notes, go watch it, because Shag and I are going to discuss this thing in a little bit. We're going to give all kinds of spoilers. Uh, it runs an hour and 20 minutes, so you may have to set aside a little bit more of your day than usual, you know, since we usually do like, you know, 15, 20 minute kind of fan films. Uh, this might take a little chunk. This is my fault. Clinton was bugging me, saying he wanted me on the show, and I'm like, oh my gosh, have you paid my, you know, my agent? Have you paid my appearance fee? All this stuff. I'm like, all right, if we're gonna make it worth it, let's find a good one. And I'm a big Star Trek guy, so I said, hey, how about this one? Yeah, I wanted to get my 25 cents worth. Ouch! Hey, that's what happens when I find Jared's quarters. <laughs> but seriously, folks, yeah, we we wanted to do something quality. We wanted to do something definitely worth talking about. Uh, needless to say, if it's on this show, we probably do think it's worth talking about. So get out there, watch it. Uh, we're going to take a quick trailer break. And on the other side, I will give my very rambly version of a synopsis. Robert, I need to talk about Starfleet. Why am I tired of talking about Starfleet? Space is a young man's game, guys. I've turned the nest into a retirement ceremony early. I was staying on Earth for you. You were staying on Earth for yourself. Since the supply run, for which you were receiving the order of heroism, which I visited a lot of years. April, I want you to take the Enterprise.
I've got something over here you might want to take a look at. You can see through it, can't you? What's it saying? All will die. Like me, sister. Looks like the device disarmed itself. Take evasive action now! Activating warp bubble. Get away from the window! Fire now! These are the treasures of the human adventure. And the adventure is just beginning. Okay, everybody back? Good. All right, full disclosure before I get started. There's a lot that happens in an hour and 20 minutes. There's a lot that's also downtime in an hour and 20 minutes. I've strung it together the best I can, and uh, yeah, here we go. If stuff's out of order, that's okay, because it'll all make sense in the end. Captain Robert April is on Earth, currently not on any active duty status. Despite having saved several Starfleet officers on a recent away mission, he is struggling with PTSD from the ones he was unable to save. This has left him mentally and emotionally handicapped and, at least in his opinion, unfit for command or on any off-world missions. However, his heart longs for space and he can't admit to himself that he's dying to be aboard the nearly finished Enterprise as it gets ready for its maiden voyage. Captain April gets taken aside and informed that his ship has come into contact with a new, highly violent alien race known as the Serene. Or is it Saren? I forget. You're in charge of that, not me. Yeah, we're going to go with Saren. Anyway, the Saren exist only to kill. The Saren sabotage the USS Endeavor during a Starfleet event. Robert manages to get most of the attendees evacuated before the explosion happens, but Admiral Taylor dies in the attack further convincing Robert that he is unfit for command. However, a forced assignment to the Enterprise and a message from the Saren showing that they have his sister and others captive begins to weigh upon him. Along the way, we learn that Robert's wife, Commander Sarah April, has accepted a post on the Enterprise as Chief Medical Officer. We also meet Navigator Lieutenant Ty, Science Officer Ensign Brooks, and Ship's Communication Officer and Linguist Lieutenant Lyra. Or was it Lyra? Dang it. We'll go Names. with Lyra. It was Lyra, yeah. A sneak attack by one of the Saren leaves Command- Captain Colin, sorry, the commanding officer of the Enterprise, unable to continue command. All the situations are, have culminated into forcing Robert into assuming command of the Enterprise. Later, the crew find a foreign object that has been hidden aboard the Enterprise. The object is actually an explosive operated by remote signal. Robert manages to get it transported off the ship right at the moment of explosion, saving the ship and crew. The detonation signal gives the Enterprise crew enough information to be able to track where exactly the Saren have been hiding on the far side of Jupiter. Captain April wastes no time taking the Enterprise that way and leading the away mission to stop the Saren and rescue the captives. With the away mission successful, you'd think everything would be leading into a happy ending. But no! Turns out the Saren are getting ready to target Earth with a giant version of the virus gun they shot Captain Collins with. With aid from the USS Constitution and a few other smaller ships, the Enterprise is able to hold off the Saren just so long 
but the Saren shields are too much, only lowering to make an attack against the Earth. Sorry, Australia, you got shot invasion style. <laughs> However, Robert realizes that the Saren don't bother to destroy an incapacitated ship. He orders everything powered off except the weapons during their next hit. His tactic works, and the Enterprise manages to destroy the Saren ship. In the aftermath, we learn that Captain Collins will live, but he will never be able to captain again. Lieutenant Ty and Robert's sister Grace hint at a mutual attraction. In the turbo lift, Ensign Brooks informs Captain April that space may just not be for him. Robert, in a moment of personal clarity, informs him that they are allowed to be afraid, but sometimes they just have to push through the fear to achieve their goals. Lieutenant Lyra, who has been dealing with a similar personal struggle about whether to stay in Starfleet or return home and rule over Andoria, sends a communique back to her mother that she's made her choice to stay on the Enterprise. In a closing shot, we see our Enterprise bridge crew. April makes his first log entry as Enterprise captain and orders the ship to set course. But that's not all. In a post credit sequence, we meet a rather Lenny and Squiggy-looking gentleman. <laughs> You know, not played by the irredeemable Shag, amazingly. Ouch. Attempting to charm two ladies. He introduces himself as Harcourt Fenton Mud. And that is Star Trek First Frontier. And I've talked far longer than anybody tuning in has probably wanted to hear my voice. True. So, see? So I'm going to take a drink. And Shag, please tell us what you thought of this film. Oh, I think it's an absolute blast. It, there's a lot of stuff to love in here. You know, I, I'm a sucker for the classic, you know, old days of, of Star Trek, finding out what it was like before Kirk and things like that. Maybe that's part of the reason I like Strange New World so much. So, it, and again, for my love of Robert April, which comes from these books for Final Frontier and first and Best Destiny, I, it was exciting to see this version of Robert April. It, it doesn't match up with the books, so it doesn't match up with Diane Carey's books, but it does do its best to match up, at least with the continuity from the cartoon. So I found it a lot of fun. Um, and, and as we go through this, you know, we're, we're probably going to poke some holes at it here and there and nitpick some things because that's what you do when you talk about these things. But I don't think that detracts from my overall enjoyment. And I would say I still really, really enjoyed it. And I recommend it to folks. Yeah, I'm with you. This was really fun. I really like the, the Star Trek history thing. Um, you know, I'm not as well versed in all the novels as you are, you know, which didn't really add or subtract from my enjoyment on this so mm -hmm. uh there, there's a lot of stuff that, to kind of unpack um i will say first thing people going into it and expecting uh you know a kirk spock original series kind of romp uh that that ain't gonna happen here <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, you and i were talking a little off the air earlier it, it feels a lot more like the cage that which is the original pilot for with with bike it feels a lot more like the cage than it does where no man's gone before which is the kirk pilot uh it feels a, a lot more in that way to me yeah um not just the the costuming either it's very much the tone um you know a lot of people like to point out about how pike's talking about possibly quitting starfleet maybe becoming a pirate or a slaver or you know just anything that's not captaining a starship kind of thing. And it's Robert April in this has a lot of similar, similar beats. I did wonder about that. It's in my notes. You know, it, it, there's that, that desire to give up being a captain, right? It, it, both of them had it in the cage in here. And, and technically the cage never aired officially. 
So I guess it's not really contradicting that, although we all accept the cage as canon. Um, so let me ask you, is that theme of both April wanting to quit and then being rejuvenated and Pike wanting to quit and being rejuvenated, is it too similar? Should they go in a different way? Um, overall, I would say no, because, um, you know, April's coming at it from a, a different perspective. Like he's really dealing with the, you know, the whole PTSD thing, which in and of itself, I've got notes on, but, but I mean, like, if you'll remember Kirk and, you know, again, we were talking off air and, and earlier you were talking about favorite captains and stuff. Kirk in the movies, uh, kind of has that, that similar thing when he realizes, you know, he thinks he might be getting too old to be on a starship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and bones just kind of keeps having to remind him like, look, Jim, I'm older than you and we're still out here doing this. Mm-hmm. Spock says it's your first best destiny. Oh, look at that full circle all the way back to this discussion. Mm-hmm. But Pike, if I remember right with the cage and I haven't watched it in a while, I want to say though Pike wanted to quit also because he had lost people on a mission. Um, he lost his yeoman, his like his buddy, his yeoman buddy. Uh, so I, I think it's the same reasons, if I remember mm-hmm. right, that both Pike and, uh, and, and April want to quit. So I do feel like it probably was a little too similar. Like, I, I wish they had taken a different tactic, you know, but they did what they did. And that's fine. Moving past that, it works. You get a lot of great scenes of him struggling about whether he wants to go on in Starfleet or be a captain or stay Earthside. I guess he doesn't talk about leaving Starfleet, but he talks about staying on Earth rather than going into space and, and being in charge of people's lives. But, you know, his wife is like, hey, it's not just about you. You know, I've got my own career, so mm-hmm. I, I, I want to do this, too. So I like that aspect. You don't get that with Pike. So having the wife as a different piece, Sarah, is great. Yeah, this is kind of like. Sorry, my alarm's going off. And ironically, it's music from Star Trek, (laughs) 2. which, by the way, is the the, the piece of music. I don't know if the microphone picked it up or not, but the piece of music that was just playing is in this movie. So there we go. (laughs) Uh, Okay, now we're going to get flagged by YouTube. Thanks. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Go ahead. You see what you're going to say. Then that's going to be a perfect transition into music. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, but. Yeah, um, gosh, where where was I going? We were Pikes, talking about uh, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about the, that's it. Um, yeah, the 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 difference is, um, you know, Robert is more like the opposite of an '80s action movie cop. You know, he kind of wants to take the desk job. Yep. You know, like there's always the dude. It's like you know, cliche. You know, I'm two weeks from retirement. I just want <laughs> to take the desk job and get out. But yeah, yeah, that that that's Robert April right now. It's like, yep. I just want the desk job, but I can't because I, you know, my heart's in the stars. <laughs> and his dad gives him a great pep talk about that, which we're going to come back to that, I think, because um, the dad's I want to talk about the casting when we get a chance. But so let's talk about the music. Sorry. <laughs> so the music throughout this entire movie is from the soundtrack of Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan. Like, I'm pretty sure every music cue you hear is from the Star Trek two soundtrack. And again, what my phone was just playing is called inter, uh, Clearing All Moorings, I think is what it's called, which is when the Enterprise in Star Trek II leaves Space Dock and we all sit there and drool and watch the pretty ship go by and all that. Well, we get that moment in this. They show the Enterprise leave Space Dock and they play the exact same piece and they you know, clear all moorings. And uh, and it's very exciting. I love that. But I will say I feel like they use too much of Wrath of Khan music. And, and maybe it's because I'm so steeped 
in the Wrath of Khan soundtrack, I literally know it backwards and forwards. That's what I listen to when I'm on planes and I'm reading a book or whatever. That's what I put on in the background, a blackout noise. Um, so maybe I'm too steeped in to be the judge, but I just like every track. I'm like, oh, that's that's Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's Wrath of Khan. That's Wrath of Khan. I'm like, all right, if you're going to use Star Trek music, maybe pick out a couple from the motion picture, from Star Trek 3, Star Trek 4, Star Trek 5, Star Trek 6. Heck, pull some from next gen, whatever. Uh, but I don't know. Was it too much Wrath of Khan music or did you not even notice at all? I didn't notice it as all being Wrath of Khan. Okay. But again, you know, I don't sleep with the vinyl record, you know, strapped to my chest like you do. You say that like it's a bad thing. Well, if you roll over on it, Shag. But keep it warm. <laughs> it's got to be safe and near my heart. Uh, I'm, I'm just sure, you know, Gene Hendricks is going to be upset that, you know, they didn't use more motion picture. Yeah, he's the so, one guy. Yeah. Spoilers, Gene. There's not a 30 minute segment of the Enterprise just pulling out. So you get a decently long one, though. No, no. I I think Gene (laughs) would be satisfied with the amount of ship porn in this for a fan film. It's pretty good. I mean, like you said, they built an 11 foot model, which blows my mind because I couldn't figure out which scenes were the model and which were CGI. I mean, maybe they were all the model. I don't know. Uh, the, the, The director wanted everything to be the model. Mm. There are a few moments that are CGI. There there are a few moments that if you like really blow it up, watch it on like, the, a t- you know, a TV instead of just computer screen, you can really tell the difference. OK, but it's it's still not bad. It looks good. It looks yeah. really good. And, and and in all fairness, like we're talking, you know, as we've said on several other fan films, we're talking this is a set of people like doing this at home on their computers not you know going to Paramount and saying, hey, you know, I need a 30-second clip of the Enterprise leaving Space Dog. Mm-hmm. And, and do you know how hard it is to build a model that looks good on film? I mean, first <laughs> of all, it's very, very difficult in general. Make it 11 feet long, there's so much landscape for you to screw up there. You know, there, you could really mess up the model because there's so much you got to do. And it's clean. It looks perfect. It looks seamless. That's why I, I was confused and thought some of it may be CGI. It looks so good. But hearing that it's all the model, that's fantastic. And plus, like going back to you know my old uh, uh, TNG behind the scenes days, I don't think that Enterprise was 11 feet. Um, I, really, I, I think it was more stood, like eight. But it's probably yeah, I've stood in front of it. Uh, the one at the Smithsonian. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's probably not 11. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know that I can gauge eight to 11 by my eyeball shot, but it's uh, it's in that realm. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. So like on the behind the scenes trivia and how stuff was made, you know, you're talking about like how they're doing the shots and everything with an 11 foot enterprise, like rewind to where you said like they were had started this in 2015 and done mm-hmm. five years worth of filming, editing, producing all that. They started off, uh, you know, trying to do it on Kickstarter to get it funded. Yep. You know, dude was looking for 100, 130 grand. Six weeks into it, they only had 30,000 pledged. So he pulled the plug on it, and it, which meant he got nothing of it because it was a make or break. But he realized, like, you could go on Patreon. And people were just, you know, doing the, the Patreon donations monthly. They realized they had enough from that. They could buy a small plot of land, build a, like a, you know, basically a barn and use it as a soundstage, switch out scenery, 
bring in the Enterprise, bring out the Enterprise, all that for the, all the little shots. So when you say they brought in and out the Enterprise, do you mean the model or the bridge? All of it. See, I wasn't – okay, I was wondering about the bridge because the bridge looks really good. And I was wondering if they went to that place in Georgia that will let you film there for a fee. There's like a, an amazing recreation of the Enterprise in Georgia. Um, I don't I don't remember where it is. But um, and there's also one – anyway, I, I figured maybe they were uh, using that set. But okay. No, every, everything that I read – which amounted to like three articles because yeah, <laughs> because amazingly there's not a lot of information out there other than hey this film exists right and in fan reviews yeah right like uh there you guys probably have heard of star trek memory alpha and star trek memory beta uh there's nothing out there on there even though i was convinced i saw an article entry on there uh Clint and I have been arguing for 20 minutes before we got started going, yes, no, it's there. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Well, apparently it's not, and I'm wrong, and I don't like that. Yeah, apparently there there is a book called First Frontier, which is about Kirk and Spock fighting dinosaurs or something. Robert April is mentioned in the book, so that's something. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but, you know, back to the film itself. Oh, yeah, I, I did want to mention uh, t- two more real quick things, folks, and then we'll get back to talking about the actual film. I promise. Uh the film itself is dedicated to the memory of writer DC Fontana, who had passed like right about the time as the film's release. And you cannot tell me she's not an influence on this film. Oh, absolutely. And um, according to IMDb, this is not Nichelle Nichols' final credited role, but it may or may not be the final time that she does anything Trek related. Mm. It's kind of iffy. Well, it also, I guess it depends on when she recorded the role, too. Because, right. I mean, she may have recorded it in 2015, for all we know. And so, I mean, yeah, that's a that's a tough one to call. Yeah. Okay, so so going back to the film, uh, what do you think of, like, some, some of the ancillary characters? Okay, so, uh, well, start me off. Like, who? Okay, l- let's get the elephant out of the room here, Shag. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Lyra. <laughs> Okay, so thanks for leading me right to that, because that's where I was going to. So, all right, so Lieutenant Lyra is this hot, sexy Andorian chick. And you can tell that she, now she's painted all blue, right? So you really have a hard time kind of seeing through the makeup and everything. But you can tell they cast a beautiful actress to play her, Brianna Ferris. And uh, sure enough, she is. She's gorgeous. Uh, But I felt, I feel like she did a good job. You know, she had a hard role with all the makeup and the antennas and all that. And she has to play sort of an alien. Um, so in general, I mean, knowing that these people are not straight Hollywood actors, you know, I, I give them a lot of leeway on their performances. There are a few in here we're going to get to, by the way, that are credited Hollywood actors. But uh, she's not one of them. And uh, I think she did a fine job with the role she was given. OK, uh, as, as far as the character herself, though, like where uh, how do you think she fits in with everything? Actually, I liked that uh, because I think it added some diversity to the cast because, you know, they they can't really put a Vulcan on there because that would kind of skew things for Spock and everything. So they had to find some option. And I think having an Andorian really kind of added some color to the cast. So I I was I liked the character. I thought Lyra was an interesting character. I liked the idea that she either and I don't know whether it was a secret that she was a princess or whether that was public knowledge. I don't know. But I like that she had left royalty to go on this great adventure. So I, I think she fit great. What about you? Oh, I loved it. I, I mean, it, even with the cliche of, you know, I'm abandoning my my royalty to go and become an, a space explorer kind of thing. 
I mean, who's not up for some kind of adventure story like that? Agreed. Like, uh, what do you think of Wesley Crusher? I mean, Ensign Brooks. Okay, so Ensign Brooks, I did not see him as Wesley Crusher. I saw him more as young Chekhov from okay. from the Kelvin films. So I re- that's how I really saw him was more of, of young Chekhov because he's even got the curly hair, you know, the mop of curly hair on top kind mm-hmm. of thing. But, yeah, I, I could kind of see where he's a Wesley. He's a brilliant. He babbles too much. He throws out a bunch of scientific stuff and gets all nervous. So, yeah, he's, he's probably lives somewhere between the two. I thought he was fine. And I, I liked the speech at the end that Pike gives. Or not Pike. Whoops. Uh, April gives. <laughs> he gives this really great, like, almost every good Star Trek thing has that emotional punch of a speech that the captain or at least one of the officers gives that, you know, really gets to you. And that was the speech he gave it in the elevator to the kid and saying, you know, when you recap, when you say you're allowed to be afraid, but reach for the stars, they're not that far. And he he pushed the kid. And uh, I thought it was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I joke calling him the Wesley crusher of this. Mostly he's the shut up Wesley meme more than anything. (laughs) Just when he starts babbling. Right. My only regret is that I don't think we had enough of Brooks contributing to stuff because you feel like like you get introduced to him, then he disappears for 20 minutes and then he shows back up and then he disappears again until like right at the end. Hmm. OK. Or, you know, well, that, that's how I saw it. Well, he seemed to be like the human computer, like sort of thing. Like every time they had a question, they asked him, like, you know, you know, what about this? And he's like, well, the warp field will do this, sir. And how long do we have? Six minutes, sir. You know, he like. So I, I don't know. Uh, so you may be you may be oh, right if okay, I were to, okay. If so I rewatch, you're kind it. of equating him to number one. Oh, uh, well, not in the role of first officer, but yes, no, the but human, the, the character computer. number one. Yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. A little bit. Okay. Uh, what did you think of Lieutenant Ty? Lieutenant the Navigator. Oh, she was great. She so all right. So she was great. She reminded me a little bit of on um, what am I trying to say? Strange New Worlds. There is the, you know, the, the pilot there, um, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, the one with the, the buzz side hair and she's funny anyway. So it's sort of got a little bit of snarky attitude, a little bit of comeback, but knows she's a great pilot. I kind of like that. Now she, uh, this actress who played that character, uh, Diane, I guess you say Rodriguez. She's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, she has been acting for a, a, a while, uh, going all the way back to 2005, it looks like when she started. And she's been in a ton of – so she's a real actress, um, most recently in 25 episodes of The Blacklist. So I, I think she does a great job. Yeah, and the character of Lieutenant Ty, I really appreciated her. I uh, felt like she could probably could have carried a few – like if this had gone to series, mm-hmm. you know, not that it was not any attempt to, but like if this had been a, a, a pilot for – you know, some Star Trek spinoff. Like, I feel like she could have carried a few episodes. Yeah, I think there was there. I think there was story there. Did you get the sense that her and April's sister were hooking up? Is that yeah. what was going on? Okay, yeah. yeah. That's what, the, I, the that's whole, what I felt I, like, too. Yeah, you got some good moves. Yeah, I bet I could show you a few good moves. Yeah, felt like that. Uh, and, and of course, you know, we, can, we cannot move on before we mention Dr. Sarah April. Yeah, Tara Ox. She was great. She, I, uh, she's also another, you know, uh, it's interesting. Her, her career is kind of more in the the writing and comedy kind of stuff. It's, I think I believe, but she's great. She was great in this role. I love that. And again, I'm totally biased, right? Cause I come into this with these two books that I, that I read that I love where April and Sarah and Robert are in love, you know? And so 
it's hard for me not to automatically be predisposed to liking her. But I feel like they pulled off the relationship really nicely. There's maybe a little too much canoodling on the bridge. uh, But (laughs) yeah, but, you know, but I like I liked it. I liked her. I thought she was good in the role. Uh, I believed her as a doctor. I believed her expertise. So, yeah, I totally bought it. Yeah. And I mean, it was very, very powerful scene when they do the whole thing. You know you know, I can't believe you took a commission. You know, what was I going to do? Just come home one day and realize that you were gone. And she's like, my bags have been packed for weeks. Mm-hmm. That was that, you know, that scene. All right. Since I'm going to nitpick, I do have a little bit. That's on both of them. Cause like, if you're going to get on a starship and you're leaving on a mission, you're going to tell your spouse goodbye, you know? So like the fact that neither one of them told now, I, she knew she was getting on his ship. So I guess maybe she's not quite his fault, but like, he didn't tell her goodbye like uh, at some point yeah. and realize that it, she was going to, I don't know, something, something, there's a bit of a disconnect there. I see. I took it as like Robert was so in his own head that even if she had just like held up a giant sign that says, I'm going on the enterprise, see you in three years. Right. You know, that he wouldn't have noticed because he was just so, you know, so mired in his own, his own troubles. Yeah. Which brings us to a character that we have to talk about. John April. Oh, played by Barry Corbin. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you remember him from? John April or Barry Corbin? Well, Barry Corbin. Let's let's just get that out of the way. See, I kept having that whole he is so familiar and I couldn't place him because my brain wanted to mix him up with um, Wilford Brimley. (laughs) Okay. All right. Which really... It does them both a disservice. Well, they both have the mustache. They both play the older older gentleman, so I can totally see that. Do you want me to tell you where you know him from? Yes, please. Northern Exposure. Okay. 110 episodes of Northern Exposure. He played Maurice J. Minifield. I don't really remember the character's name at all. However, uh, he was, yeah, he was a, a reoccurring character on Northern Exposure, and that's where you absolutely know him from. Okay. Which explains why he pretty much chews up every scene that he's in. He is possibly the best actor in the thing. Like he has his scenes. He doesn't have a lot, but dang, he's good. I mean, he's really good. Really, really good. It's like you see him and then you see sort of the fan film actor and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. I see the difference. Mm hmm. Yeah. And and that's not like a nitpick on any of the actors. Oh, not at all. No, everybody gives. 110% and they're definitely like I will put this out here everyone in this is probably a better trained and experienced actor than most of what we see in some of these fan films yeah well a lot of these folks are established actors again we've got some more to get to that may surprise you as well okay we'll rattle them off Shag okay so the Commander McCain who was like the security officer had like an Australian accent kind of thing um Mm -hmm. Play, he was like the tough guy who was always ready for action, uh, played by Paul Teffler. And he was a big dude. He was like the big muscle bound. And there was a little bit of flirting with him in the Andorian a little bit. Uh, he was a, like a regular for a while on Vampire Diaries. So, I mean, he's got he's got some creds. You know, he, he's a st- an established actor who's been done stuff. He's been on Days of, Our, Days of Our Lives, like 500 episodes. You know, he's this guy's got some some chops. Uh, okay. 
since he's a who, vampire. Who is he on Vampire Diaries? Because that's my daughter's like favorite show ever. Okay, well now that I look, it was only three episodes. I thought he was in more, but okay, he was in three episodes as Alexander. Um, so my mistake that he wasn't in as many as I thought he was. But mm-hmm. 521 episodes of Days of Our Lives. The guy's got some acting chops. He's Australian, which means he's freaking attractive. So anyway, he's great. Uh, he's got some some acting uh, background there. Then uh, what? this one surprised me. So Commander Young, who was the dude with like the beard, who was like running the transporter and he goes out on the on the on the spaceship to the spaceship, the Enterprise. He's the one who goes out on the Enterprise to uh, deactivate or, or to I don't know, fix the ship. Whatever, mm-hmm. Right. He just seemed kind of generic. Right. I didn't think much about him till I looked him up on IMDb and I'm like, holy crap, that's Shining Knight from the Stargirl TV series. No freaking way. It is. So that blew me away. So I was like, oh, okay. Once again, another actor with some real acting chops here. Surprise. Uh, who else? Do we have? We'll talk about Robert April in a minute because he's kind of the big the big dog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. That the, the head, Robert Brian Davis, who played, oh gosh, what he, he played the, the Admiral guy. Um, I'm getting to it. He played Admiral Taylor. He's the one who like pretty much like was kind of a dick and like forced uh, April to go on the mission. He like really pressured him. Well, he's been in a ton of stuff. He's been in like one of the Taken movies. You know, he's uh oh gosh, his, his credits go on and on. And I'd seen him in a lot of stuff, just not necessarily as a lead, but he always seems to show up and stuff. So I definitely recognize the guy. It was uh, the third Taken movie that is Taken Three is the one he was in there. Uh, he's in Doom Patrol at one point. Anyway, he's been in a bunch of stuff, so he's quite established as well. So I guess the the one to talk about though is Robert April. So played by Robert Prol- Prolgo. I don't know. How do you, how do you say that? That's how I would say it. But, okay. You know, I, I say names almost as well as somebody here says nuclear. I don't like you. So, um, so he has credits going all the way back to 1994, as far back as Matlock. Um, Matlock. Yep. Now he was in eight. Uh, here's a for your daughter. He was in eight episodes of the Vampire Diaries as Mayor Lockwood. Ah, okay. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, gosh, there's a lot of stuff he's done. I mean, he's got a his IMD page is probably the longest one here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm clicking on it now. And holy cow, Avengers Endgame and Infinity yep. War. See, there's the interesting thing where I was getting to. He's not only an actor, he's also a producer. And he was involved with a lot of Marvel films. Uh, he, he, I, he like I, I don't know whether. Hold on. I'm getting myself a little turned around here. Uh, if he produced on the Marvel movies or not, but he, let's see, he was in Loki, he was in Black Widow, he was in, as we said, uh, Infinity War and in, um, uh, Endgame. Now, and like in those cases, he would like just read in, like he'd be with the other actors, right? Mm-hmm. And he would read in Thanos' part, you know, stuff like that. So some films he had a bigger role, so other ones he didn't. You know, Loki, he's just a timekeeper on the set, you know, so that's probably where... Uh, if we were to dig in deeper here and see, uh, he probably was. That's this just his actor roles. Here we go. I'm going to go to producer real quick. Um, yeah, I screwed that up royally. You talk for a minute. <laughs> uh, let's see, just a couple other things here. Um, Avengers okay. Assemble, Nick Fury TV series. What? Yeah, he's he's been all over the place. So, okay, as a producer, he was not involved as a producer with the Marvel stuff. Sorry, but he's been a producer on a lot of stuff. The guy's got a huge career, and you could see it. I mean, he was a really good actor. I um, it's interesting to look at a guy like that who is clearly a Hollywood actor, right? That guy is the real deal. But you can kind of see the bleed through of where fan films are different, and fan films are different than major Hollywood productions in costuming. 
and lighting. And well, again, these people are amateurs. Like you said, they're doing this on, they have real jobs. You know, they're doing this on the Mm -hmm. side for fun. So I'm not being critical, but I am saying you can see pictures of Robert Prologo, uh, however you say his name in like big Hollywood productions. And he looks great, right? He looks slick. He looks handsome. He looks daring, but you put him on those fan film, you know, studio lights that somebody could afford and do and eh, you know, some of the some the face doesn't show up as strong. He doesn't look quite as much as a leading man. You know, the the shirt, yeah, the sleeves are a little too long. You know, you can see the undershirt, you know, the shape of the undershirt underneath mm-hmm. the tunic, you know, things like that where I'm not faulting him. And I'm not even faulting the customers. I'm just saying you start to see the differences between what Hollywood spends on a film and what people can afford when they're doing it themselves. Okay. Um you're talking about all his his wonderful chops here. Uh, he has six wins and two nominations at Action on Film International Film Festival USA. Apparently. Wow. And okay. a few other places. Uh, see, he has uh, a 2022 winner for Best Actor in a One Shot, or sorry, in something called One Shot. Uh, 2018 winner Best Supporting Actor for Unraveled. 2018 nominee Best Supporting Actor Trouble Is My Business. Uh, Hollywood Short Fest. He's a 2022 winner uh, Best Actor in One Shot. What whatever this One Shot is, we need to check it out. Yeah, like I said, he's the real deal. You know, he's yeah, he's he's going back to 2013 even mm-hmm. for stuff. So. Well, keep in mind, that would have been early in his career, probably, because, you know, 2015 is probably when they he agreed to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Although, like, oh, I take that back, because, like I said, he was acting as early as 94. I apologize. But 2013 is when he started getting accolades, I guess, is what, what we're saying. Yeah. And that's just for whatever. You know, I've, I've never heard of any of these films, but that doesn't mean anything. I've. Yep. You know. So, so there's one more actor I wanted to talk about, and I, I'm wondering if there's something I was missing. Um, Vince Canales played Lieutenant Commander Corbin. And he was, I guess, the science officer. He was the bald dude mm-hmm. uh, with the weird eyes. You know, was he supposed to be an alien of some sort? Because his eyes were weird and his speech was very stilted and weird. Like he spoke in a strange way to deliver his lines. That wasn't someone trying struggling to remember their lines. It was intentionally stilted in that way. And I was like, is he supposed to be an alien? I wasn't sure what was going on there. Yeah, I kind of got that sense like he was sort of supposed to be kind of like, you know, he had the had the contacts in to give him the glowing eyes and he kind of had like little pointed ears. But he wasn't a Vulcan because he, you know, he clearly like they all you know address the Vulcans as the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still like, you know, they're like the mythical creatures kind of thing. <laughs> You know, it, like Vulcans exist, but, you know, they're they're so far above us that we can just call them the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure, like, if he was supposed to be just kind of like generic alien number one as far as, like, being non-human or what. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was interesting, though. I liked it. At first, I was like, what's going on with this character? And then as the film went on, I really got to like the character. I was like, oh, I want to know. I you know, talk about a, a supporting character that could lead an episode. I totally wanted to know more about him. Now, his yeah. acting career goes all the way back to 1993. Um, not any big roles that you would have heard of. I mean, like, he, he actually made it into some superhero stuff. Like, he's in yeah. an episode of Black Lightning. He's actually in Black Adam, but, like, a really minor role. You know, things like that. Hey, he's wizard number six. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's better than I've done, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Shaq, you and I could only dream of being 
man in van on one division. That's fair. Okay. I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> I, I hate the credits on some of those things. But right. Those poor people. Oh, man. Okay. You mentioned the costumes. Like, what did you think of their uniforms? Again, for a fan production, the costumes look great. They really did. They really, they nailed mm-hmm. the Starfleet uniforms. They kind of had that. They didn't look exactly like they did in the cage. They, they sort of modified them a bit. And I think they did it in a good way. Uh, I think they, they made them a little more functional. You know, they found some middle ground and I think they looked good. What about you? Oh, I, I really enjoyed them. They look good on the film. Um, I do have like a little nitpick, like mm-hmm. the, the women's uniform is very, um, cleavage friendly i'm confused why is why is this a problem (laughs) well you know if you're power girl and you have the boob window and not the (laughs) yellow and white you yeah anyway (laughs) no that was the only thing like i i just really assume most uh women in starfleet don't bend over in front of anybody i'm guessing that was the blue andorian (laughs) yeah pretty much yeah i mean she she was clearly uh, supposed to be the 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 equivalent of the sexy green lady from Star Trek, right? Because she was yeah. blue, and I, that's what they were going for. And you know, bless them, they were trying to be faithful to the original series. You know, that's yeah. what they were trying to go for. But I do like her. You know, like the, there's something in translation that doesn't because <laughs> um, you know you were talking about the the muscly dude hitting on her. Like, mm-hmm. you want to get a drink? And she's like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Imbibing liquids is <laughs> a requirement for nutrition or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, humans are not the only ones who <laughs> intake liquid. <laughs> it was fun. I like. I, again, it adds a little bit of quirkiness to the cast, which was fun. Now, I, you mentioning the uniforms is something worth talking about because this thing, this production, again, started in 2015, finished, you know, released in 2020. So when was it filmed? You know, probably 15, 16, 17. You know, probably mm-hmm. by then. And Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, uh, season two is where they introduced Pike and they introduced the the old retrofitted Enterprise, right? Like the the classic series Enterprise, but done for fancy new TV. And that was in January of 2019 is when that gets introduced. So when they were filming First Frontier, I'm hedging my bet that none of that had aired. So they were doing all this in a vacuum. They hadn't seen new Starfleet redesigned uniforms, any of that kind of stuff. Because, you know, Pike shows up in the yellow redesigned outfit. Mm -hmm. So, uh, again, credit to them for sort of making the cage outfits a little more functional. Uh, And and it probably was frustrating, I imagine, for the people who made this film to start the film sort of in a vacuum. And by the time they release it, you know, Pike's already and the Enterprise is already out there and they're already talking about Strange New Worlds by that point. So it was probably a little frustrating to have started before then. And then by the time you're done, there's something out there that's not competing. That's not the word I'm looking for. But, you know, something for people to look at and reflect. Because, you know, by the time what Stranger Worlds debuted in what, 2022, and we had had a Robert April by then, right? Played by an African-American actor. Mm -hmm. So, again, people see the comparisons. Yeah. And but I mean, at the same time, it's like you said, it was in a vacuum. Yeah. Essentially, it was, as you like to put it with the Doctor Who stuff, it was wilderness years. It was, mm-hmm. you know, this was an era that was going to be completely untouched. You know, there was no indication Paramount was ever really going to go back and talk about anything pre-Kirk ever again. Mm-hmm. And then, 
you know, and then like midway through production, like you said, it was announced. Hey, guess what? There's a, you know, we're, we're going back to the past. Yep. Well, discovery started in 2017, but again, wasn't touching Pike, wasn't touching Kirk, any of that till 2019. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> if we're going to talk about, if we're going to be critical, I do have one critical thing that I feel is a fair criticism, but they acknowledge it right on the YouTube notes right then and there which is the sound, yeah. uh, the audio, whether it be dialogue or music or special effects sound, it is very inconsistent. Uh, there's times where the dialogue's hard to hear. I watched it with closed caption. Um, yeah. The captions were wonderful. Yeah. I watched it with closed caption to, to make sure I caught everything. So the, clo- but sometimes the dialogue's hard to hear It's you know, would have been fixed in ADR probably. Sometimes the music's too loud. Sometimes the special effects too loud. It is inconsistent, which does make it uh, take you out of the film a little bit. But again, as a fan production, and they acknowledge that they wish they had more time to fix the audio. So I, I don't fault them for it much. No. And one other thing while we're on nitpicks, it, this film is like the best commercial ever for getting YouTube premium, because <laughs> otherwise you will be interrupted with ads about every eight minutes. And it's going to come up like right in the middle of somebody's best line. I promise you. Huh? Well, I interesting. I don't have or, YouTube premium. Or put a I, good ad blocker on. <laughs> well, I, I didn't have that experience. I didn't get blocked. I, I didn't see a single ad. Really? Yeah. I yeah. wonder why I, I watched it on. Well, I watched it on a Google device. I wonder if that's it. You know, like a, an Android tablet. I wonder if that has something to do with it. That could be. And I was logged into YouTube as, you know, my my profile. I don't know. That's strange. I I didn't get any ads when I watched it. Huh. Strange. Your experience may vary, folks. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So I did notice an Easter egg, which I thought was kind of cool. And I might be wrong, but I feel pretty confident that this was an Easter egg. Uh, In April's, Robert April's quarters, we spent a few scenes with him sitting at, like, I don't know, a desk or something or a chair in, in his quarters. Behind him is a framed photo. I don't know. Did you happen to notice that? Uh, is is that the alleged photo of a certain actor? I don't know where you're going or with that. Not, no? Okay. Well, did you read something? I mean, is there something out there about this? This is just me, what I think. Was there something out there I missed? Um, just you, say you what keep, you're thinking. You keep going. I will Okay. I, I don't have I didn't do any research on this. This is just me eyeballing something going, oh, that it looked to me very, very much like a famous photo that I've seen many times of Gene Roddenberry, oh. uh, of him standing like on a porch with a railing or something like that. I've seen this this particular photo of Gene Roddenberry many, many, many times. And that and, and they didn't do a close up of the of the framed photo. So, you know, and it's hard to tell. And I'm watching on like a, you know, I don't know, a 10 inch, 12 inch tablet. But it sure looked to me like that. That's a frame photo of, of Roddenberry. So what were you thinking? It was a frame photo of like Shatner okay. or something. No, um, there is in, in the credits. There is mention of um, they had gotten permission to use the likeness of Jeffrey Hunter. But I didn't oh, catch it. Pike? Yeah, but I didn't catch where they had put it in there. Huh. OK. No, I, I don't know. I don't remember seeing. Um, huh. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind. All right. OK, so what about the Saren? I, I know you've got to have an opinion on it because their design looks like it should have been straight out of John Pertwee era Doctor Who. Yeah. OK, so the Saren. Um, I went back and forth on them. At first, I was like, what? 
<laughs> but then the more I started thinking about it, and I started thinking about those early aliens, right, from Star Trek classic series, series one, I was like, okay, if I put this in perspective and think, okay, when the series started in 66, this is what the effects look like. Well, this is supposed to be like 10 years before that, you know, so it, the effects for 56, I don't know. Um, the aliens look a bit hokey, but at the same time, the physicality of them sort of fits with TOS, I feel like. I don't know. Am I, out, am I offline, out of base, off base here? What do you think? No, I mean, when when you're talking about, you know, a show that Nomad is just a, you know, a big, basically oversized model on a stick that, yep. you know, the camera is <laughs> in the right position to not see the stick. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to be your universe destroying monster of the week. Yep. You know, a, a guy that's covered in a bunch of junk from your garage, basically, you know, that that pretty much works. Plus, <laughs> for the most part, they are kept mostly in shadows. Yep. yep. Except for like the, the one um, attack there in in the um, like shuttle bay. And when you see it on on the uh, on the bed in, yeah, in, in, the, in, the, in the sick bay. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I can't think of words. So uh, my uh, the only like the aliens. OK, I will accept the aliens as TOS, you know, quality, if you will. My only real complaint about the aliens. It's not even yeah, it's not even a complaint. Never mind. It's really a discussion point, which is I feel like while the, the physicality of them and their their zappy zappy rays and stuff like that felt kind of TOS. I don't know if their demeanor really fit the TOS era. Because I mean they were sort of creepy, you know, very Geiger aliens, you know, kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. you know, the creepy uh, jump out and slice you or eat you kind of vibe. I feel like, you know, very aliens, you know, um, you've seen Sigourney Weaver with a flamethrower kind of aliens. And I didn't, I don't know if that really fits the TOS idea of bad guys. I don't know. They felt a little too black and white. Oh, these guys are bad guys and there's absolutely no redeeming qualities of them. So it's okay for us to blow them up. That didn't yeah. feel very TOS to me. Yeah. I was wondering how you felt about their, they only exist to murder. Yep. Okay, but they don't murder their own species. They just go and, you know, like it's not even like in Next Gen where a lot of races kind of get you know pigeonholed into one thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it, it, it's literally, you know, like to boil it down, this is like the Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, there's a monster in that cave. Go kill it. Right. But and there's there's another piece of it, too. So they're not just base crazy creatures. Because these creatures, and this is where I feel like this this is probably my only script complaint or plot complaint, is they treat them like cave dwelling with a little bit of space travel, crazed monsters who want to kill, right? But then you demonstrate them clever enough to infiltrate the Enterprise, plant a device, and not murder everyone that they can get their hands on. Instead, they have hidden aboard the ship and planted a device. They're, they're in a, such a way to... Uh, you know, subterfuge, I guess is the word I'm looking for. That's not a trait I would expect from a race that's only about murder. I would not expect subterfuge. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see that. It's, you almost kind of like want to chalk it up to like, you know, they got halfway through the script and realized, well, maybe we want them to actually do things. Well, are they like, we need to get from point A to point B. How do we do that? You know, uh-huh. sort of thing. And, and again, we sound so critical and that's not the intention. This is a lot of fun, folks. It's just... It's Star Trek. We're, mm-hmm. it, it, Star Trek, as a fans, we, we we have to look at every little angle. 
Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, this is, as I said, you know, if it's on the show, we more or less are recommending it from the get go. Yeah. You know, it's the fact, you know, we're, we're going to be honest. We're going to expose like the, the, you know, sometimes you don't want to see how the sausage is made kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it is what it is. It's and and once again, none of these people got paid for doing this. Right. You know, they did it out of love. Exactly. Well, I, I do wonder if the lead actor got paid because he's <laughs> he's like a real Hollywood guy. So, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure like I'm sure Nichelle Nichols got paid. Yeah. Yeah. OK, but, I'm sure there was some kind of compensation, but it wasn't like. No one's getting rich off this thing. That's for right. sure. So one more. This this is more than an Easter egg. This is just a straight up nod. And I'm wondering if you caught it. Did you catch the name of the shuttle they were flying around in? The Sagan? Did you catch the name of the shuttle they were flying around in? <laughs> Was it not the this? Okay, no, I guess I didn't. Okay, well, name some famous shuttles that that, that everyone knows the name of. Uh, Galileo. Galileo. Very good. Galileo is famous for what? For being on Star Trek, Shag. Or studying the stars. Maybe. Right. Fine. Okay. Give me your, you know, middle school learnings. Well, this shuttle was Tyson, as in Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. So I thought that was pretty cool. I, I want to say one of the Star Trek shows had a shuttle Sagan, as in like Carl Sagan as well, mm-hmm. but I, I, I can't remember if that's factual or I just saw that in a Star Trek book or something. I don't know. But so I, when I saw Tyson, I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's a nice modern day nod. I like that. Well, okay. Way to pay attention to your subject matter. Excuse me, I was over here writing a two-page synopsis. <laughs> yeah, that left out half the movie. Because you can't take it from Wikipedia, because there isn't one. <laughs> no, trust me, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> and my my last real note was just, I, I like how they built in the very Star Trek VI. Like, Star Trek VI has one of the greatest Star Trek moments, of the most cathartic Star Trek moment when they when they all yell fire and they blow up the bird of prey. Right. Like Kirk is is so dramatic. It's like they finally figured out how to hone in on the bad guy, bird of prey. And, you know, he's like fire. And uh, you got kind of that moment. You got April to say fire at the right moment to destroy the uh, the virus spreading weapon. And uh, it was great. So it was a nice big yes kind of moment. Punch the air. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And and the bridge shot you get after that with you know, right before the log entry and everything that is, you know, after you're coming down from your endorphin high, you get to see all your lovely ship and, you know, bridge crew and and everybody. And you're just like, okay, I can watch the adventures of these people every week. Yeah. I would, I would have liked to have seen more like, you know, they, they did that Star Trek continues show, which was, and that was recreating Kirk and Spock and bones and all that. But, Mm -hmm. um, I could see more, fan film adventures of this crew. I'd be like, okay, I'm down with Robert April. Let's do this. Yeah. And while you've brought it up, uh, I just want to make a note. Star Trek continues will not be covered on this show. Um, the, yeah. Lead actor, certain issues. Uh, anybody who's curious, look it up. I will say if you are able to separate the art from the artist, uh, they're definitely worth watching. So, Meaning mentally, if you can mm-hmm. compartmentalize. yeah. And unfortunately, I honestly, I feel like you have to do this with almost any production nowadays because it seems like there's somebody horrible in everything nowadays. And so if you can separate the art from the artist, and I have to do this a lot with comic books. That's um, true, yeah. So if you can do that, uh, they're worth watching. It's just uh, don't give them any money because you don't want to support that guy. Yeah, exactly. So um, the only other thing I have to mention is 
Um, Harry Mudd. Yeah, that was fun. That was a I mean, really that, fun stinger. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. And that yeah, guy was <laughs> that guy was so funny. I mean, he was just like, "Hey, what's going on?" I mean, he really leaned into the smarmy, you know, more more 20th century kind of guy or 21st century guy, I should yeah. say. But uh, I, I loved it. It was exactly like, okay, that's a that's a great update for Harry Mudd. Yeah, I, I love it. He's just, hey, what are you two ladies getting into tonight? Not you. Well, all right. <laughs> That was fun. All right. So, short version, uh, go out and watch it. Star Trek fans will surely enjoy it. Uh, People who are not overly huge Star Trek fans, I'm sure you'll probably enjoy it, too, if you like uh, compelling space drama or, you know, just special effects. (laughs) And you you can't help but appreciate the, the scope of this fan film project. I mean, an hour and 20 minute running time. Tons of visual effects. You know, so much of it is dependent on the visual effects, on the models, you know, all of this stuff. Uh, Using recognized sets that everyone knows in and out. So if there's a knob in the wrong place, some nerd's pushing his glasses up and fixing his pocket protector. And go, wow, actually on the con station, that knob should be over here. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pressure on this creative team to work within the boundaries of something you already know incredibly well and tell a good story with great effects with great costumes, with all that kind of stuff, great acting. And uh, yeah, I mean, they did a hell of a job given the pressure they would have been under. Absolutely. Okay. So, Shag, I do appreciate you joining me here for this. Am I allowed to leave the basement now? There is no leaving the basement. You know, obviously. But, you know, before you try to, as I'm sure you will, do let people know where else they can find you online so they know what to blog, of course. Sure, absolutely. You can find me over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of the co-founders of the network. We've got tons of shows about all kinds of pop culture things, primarily comics, but we've got other stuff on music and television shows and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we've got literature. We've got, you know, uh, you name it. And uh, I myself, personally, I am involved with some comic book shows uh, about Justice League International, the Blahaha podcast, about who's who. Uh, I'm involved with this JSA Presents, which is all about the Justice Society of America. And then I've got my own show, which is sort of my uh, brand, I guess you will, which is Once Upon a Geek. And there I talk about whatever I want to talk about, whether it be comic books or science fiction or books or family or just being a geek, all kinds of talk with my daughter, whatever it might be. Uh, I have an episode of Once Upon a Geek at least once a month. Or the goal is to have one once a month. And uh, yeah, so you can also find me on Twitter as Once Upon a Geek or Instagram as Once Upon a Geek Podcast. You can find me on threads and Facebook and all the all the the socials. Maybe not Blue Sky <laughs> yet. I'm waiting on my invite. You can send that over to me, Clinton. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm still waiting on mine, too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I again, when the first time I saw this, I was so excited about it. I reached out to you. I said, let's do this one. And uh, and that may be a fictitious story. Maybe you reached out to me. I don't know. But we're going to go with my version because I like it better. And uh, <laughs> I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here to talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Because, you know, you're not leaving. You certainly can't you know, call the Enterprise and have yourself beamed up a la Gene Hendricks or anything like that. I see a window over there that I'm going to try and crawl out in just a minute, but... Darn you for being thinner than I am. (laughs) Okay, folks. So while Shag tries to scramble out the window, we'll see what happens. I'm sure the lawn sprinklers will come on or something, but uh, while... While hilarity ensues, we will take a quick promo break, and I'll be back with some listener feedback. 
Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Thanks for sticking with me. This is, of course, the feedback portion of the show. I want to give another quick word of thanks to Shag for joining me down here. He um, did manage to shimmy through that that, uh, little window somehow. Uh, He kind of had to lose his pants in the process, though. So if anybody sees a guy running around, you know, kind of in his skivvies, uh, do call the authorities. He is a danger to himself and others and needs to be locked up immediately in the nearest Arkham Asylum affiliate. All right, so last episode, which covered one-on-one, a Superman film, got likes, shares, retweets, all the social media love from James at McLaughlin 83 Chris Stados, Delvin, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Laurel, Secret Wars and Beyond, Pat Sampson, Matthew T. Cody, Magazines and Monsters, Gregory Litchfield, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Gene Hendricks, and Rad Adventures. There apparently was no direct feedback on the last episode, but that's okay. I do appreciate all the social media love. That's what helps get the show noticed. I do want to give a quick word of thanks to the Crusader Club members out there. We couldn't do these shows without all of you. And I'm going to keep the feedback kind of short since we ran a little, well, extra long on the episode itself. So I'm just going to say thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for listening this far. Thanks for joining me. And I hope you come back for another Fan Film Friday. Today you can take your telephone, your, your, your cell phone. You can make a movie on that. And if it's a really cool movie that's funny and it's dramatic or whatever, you can post it on YouTube. If you want to make films and you want to tell stories, you can do it. But if you're obsessed with film and you love to tell stories and you love working in that medium, uh, then uh, that will give you the strength to be persistent. Let everyone know they're being recorded. Hey, Shag, you're being recorded. I don't believe you. Do, 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 do. They go into space. They go really fast. They shoot some stuff. They win. Who shared my show notes with you? See how easy that is? After these messages, we'll be right back.